Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody, and welcome into your Tuesday episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am your host, David Harrison. This episode is brought to you in part by Peloton, who is offering you a limited time offer. Get $100 off of accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike. Get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED, that's L-O-C-K-E-D, to get started. Uh, I am alone today on this episode as James Yarko has inherited my tendency to get ill. Tis the season to get sick. The weather is changing all over the country, which will unfortunately cause people to get sick. So it's just going to be you and me today. But fortunately, you guys have absolutely stuffed the voicemail box uh, with, with your opinions and your thoughts. We're not going to be able to get to all of them, but we are going to get to as many as we can. I want to get to as many as possible in this episode. So let's fire off this first voicemail. What's up, boys? Tyler from Boston. Biggest takeaways, I guess, from this game was um, we were competitive somewhat, but, I mean, it was really just the tale of two halves. I mean, in the first half, we dominated the score. Uh, we looked good. We looked competitive. And then we just couldn't keep our foot on the gas. In the second half, they outscored us. They outplayed us. Um, the stout running defense led up the big games by Chris Carson. Uh, Winston, although he was better about the turnovers, I mean, you give up a big fumble a huge fumble in the fourth quarter. And, I mean, that's great teams are going to beat you, and that's what the Seahawks were today. I mean, it was good that we were competitive enough to bring it to overtime, but just couldn't do enough. And that's why Russell Wilson's an MVP candidate. I mean, he's he's awesome, and, I mean, you just got to go and attack next week, I guess. All right, Tyler, we appreciate the call, of course. And, and yeah, guys, I mean, at the end of the day, all all any of us outside the organization can really do is just look forward to the next opportunity that this team has to get on the field of play and hopefully build on everything they've done in the first eight weeks of the season. Uh, and, and bottom line is, I mean, that's, you know, this this team has, that's kind of what we talked about yesterday in response to one of the voicemails after the game is, this team is not devoid of talent, right? This team has a roster 
and it has the pieces on the roster to be able to compete week in, week out. You know, obviously the secondary is extremely young, and something like that is always going to come back to bite you in the butt eventually. But it doesn't have to prevent this team from from having a winning record, even or even at least be competitive to come in five hundred and or possibly position themselves uh, to 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 fight for a playoff spot. And things like that fumble while, you know, uh, again, we're not going to be one of the people trying to nail James Winston on, you know, to the cross for that. That's just one of those examples of this team beating themselves. And again, you know, the the Seattle Seahawks, yes, it was a Seattle Seahawk defender who was putting the pressure on Donovan Smith that helped push him back into James Winston. But again, you have a Buccaneer hitting another Buccaneer, causing a p- problem, causing a play that the, uh, the Seahawks eventually turned into three points themselves. That's a six-point swing right there because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on the Seattle 40. When that happens, it's third down when that fumble happens. So worst-case scenario, you're looking at you know a 50-or-so-yard field goal from Matt Gay, which is in his range. You know It's, it's a possibility that he could do that. Uh, Best-case scenario is the Buccaneers convert that third down, and they're moving even closer to field goal range and potentially looking to put those three points on the board. And then when you look at the end of regulation in a tie game, and that's a play that happens in the fourth quarter. It was a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter, so it wasn't so late that you can point to that and say specifically that cost the Buccaneers a chance of winning in regulation. But it's a fourth it's a fourth quarter turnover, and it really was just one of those games. They said it on the broadcast. It felt like one of those games where whoever had the ball last was probably going to come away with that victory. Obviously, that's how it happened, being an overtime game. But at the same time, this turnover really feels like the turning point because it's because it's it's an opportunity that you know the Buccaneers have punted the ball, taken the ball back away from the Seattle Seahawks, and that was really kind of your opportunity to strike while the iron was hot. You have the home team on the ropes. They've had him you know, kind of on the ropes the entire game, but then they go and give the ball right back, and all the momentum that they had built, all the momentum that was built from that lead is just gone, and you know they were never able to recapture it. So looking forward is really all we can all do. Uh, the Buccaneers are certainly doing that. You know, as you guys are listening to this episode, they're you know they're getting ready for Arizona, and they've taken what they can from Seattle and left the rest of it behind. So, in that spirit, we're going to move on to the next voicemail. David James, it's Greco again, calling up with a follow up. So, when watching the Seahawks game, when you watch Russell Wilson, it appears like he has like organized scramble plays. I'm not meaning called plays. I mean, like, the receivers know how to react well when he scrambles. I think we can learn something from this. There was a couple times, and it was only a few times, where Jameis scrambled and Mike Evans or Paramount was able to break free away from their guy. Um, but I think when, when Jameis was scrambling, he was probably thinking, let's not turn the ball over or lose the ball. So maybe he may have missed and open Mike Evans or Perryman or or Godwin or whoever um, down the field more. I think that could be an area we can work on. Um, and maybe we can, you know, turn one of those scramble plays into something a little bit bigger. I don't know. I'm just saying it seems like it works well for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, the way they scramble, how it looks more organized than, than what we had. So let me know what you think. And let me know if that's something we might be able to work on or would be important to the Bucks. All right, Greco out. All right, Greco, appreciate the uh, the call. And, of course, I mean, anytime you get, to get the opportunity to watch a quarterback like Russell Wilson, I feel like whether it's as a fan, as a media member, a coach, or as a player, 
you you need to take the opportunity to watch someone like that and try to glean as much as you can off of them, whether it be you know actual play calling, actual play design, or just kind of a mentality standpoint. Because Russell Wilson really is kind of kind of like the complete package. You know what I mean? He's got the arm strength and the arm talent. Uh, he's got the mobility to be able to do things. He's got the the football IQ and intelligence, and he's got the leadership uh, that you need to lead your offense and lead your team. Which is why the Seahawks have had so much success with him, and why this is a team that some people you know tend to forget lost their number one wide wide receiver this season. You know, Doug Baldwin uh, had to step away from the game because of everything going on with him. And typically, when you have an offense that loses their number one receiving target, that's not going to go very well. But because they have a quarterback like Russell Wilson who is able to do the things that he can do, put the team on his back when they need him to. They're competitive in every game. That's why they're in the position they are and, and all those things. Now, from a from a football theology standpoint, as far as, you know, organized scramble and scrambles and everything, that's something, I mean, every offense in the National Football League, every offense in football works on scramble drills. You know, what do you do when the quarterback is out of the pocket? What is the quarterback? What do we want the quarterback to do? Where do we want the quarterback's eyes? You know, is there an internal clock? That we at some point we just want the court, the quarterback to pull it down and run or throw it away. Uh, what you know? Do we want receivers running away? Do we want run, receivers coming, you know, back towards the line of scrimmage? And I don't know how common it is, but you know, one common thread is uh, you know receivers on the opposite side of the scramble. So the quarterback is scrambling to the right, the receivers on the left kind of run towards the direction that the the quarterback is in, but they go deeper while. Receivers that are on the side of the field, the quarterback is scrambling to come shorter. That way you've got options at every level of the field still, and hopefully the quarterback gets a, gets a, gets a read and gets a, a hole that they can throw into. Um, the problem, as always, is going to be execution and, and and being on the same page. And I think what you know what a lot of Buccaneers fans will, will look back to with this game anyway, they showed it on, on TV on the television broadcast, is there was a play where Jameis was trying to make things happen, and Mike Evans – saw an opportunity to run down the field away from his defender and did, but Jameis wasn't able, you know, to find him or get him the ball. And in the moment, that's a great thing, you know, for Mike Evans, you know, seeing that opportunity and taking it. But at the same time, when you're the quarterback with the football, you know, there's a lot of things that you're you're keeping your eyes on. And again, we don't know what Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich have coached Jameis Winston to do in those scenarios versus what Jameis was seeing and experiencing. So it's just, it's hard to put it all together. Uh, but I will tell you, I mean, that's, again, that's, one of those rare things that, you know, the kind of the great quarterbacks in our, in this game really kind of have is just that feel for what's going on, that feel for, you know, where his receivers are going to be. You see guys like Aaron Rodgers do that. Steve Young did it during, during his career uh, with the San Francisco 49ers and all the, success, all the success he had there. It's not an easy thing, you know, and, and even some of, the, some of the better quarterbacks that have played in the league can't do that as well. So for Russell, that's definitely – some of it's probably coached, sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Coach Carroll and, and his staff, you know, have some plans in place like everybody else does. But at the same time, a lot of that is just Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. Uh, it's it's one of those, you know, one of those uncoachable traits that he he brings to the field. Um, but you do bring up an interesting question about Jameis Winston and his mobility because I think that a lot of people who watch the Buccaneers closely would agree that Jameis has kind of underrated mobility as a quarterback, and it's something that has never really been utilized, you know, or, or, or emphasized or maximized. You know, the potential hasn't been maximized as much as potentially as it could be. And this year is one of those years, too. And we actually talked about this in an earlier episode during the season. And, you know, a lot of us, including, you know, James and I, were, were kind of sitting back saying, man, like, it really looks like Jameis is essentially being told, don't run. We don't want you to run. 
And I get that if that's the case because the inherent dangers that you have with the quarterback uh, running, getting hit. I mean, just truth be told, man, just the, the way the culture of the game works, linebackers and defensive backs, when they see a running back running free and they know they have a, an opportunity to hit them uh, like they're a running back or a wide receiver, they get a little bit more motivated to hit that quarterback. So your, your quarterback is already at just a little bit more uh, of a danger point when they're running loose you know, with the ball and, and stuff like that. But in that episode, and I haven't updated the math since, so I don't know what the numbers are now, but in that episode, I actually did the math, and Jameis was actually on pace to have more runs uh, this season than he had in any other season in his career. So if the coaching staff is telling him not to run as much, then it only, you know, it, it is apparent in the, in the game and it kind of feels like it. But uh, I think that's because there's more opportunities for him to run than there were in the past. And he's not necessarily taking them as he's trying to make plays downfield. So do I believe the Buccaneers should kind of leverage Seamus's ability to scramble? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think when your quarterback has that skill set, then it's something that you can use to your advantage. And it's something that also, if you use it properly, will make defenses uh, have to play more honest, play play closer to the line of scrimmage, pay more attention. And when they do those things, there's a bigger opportunity for them to kind of lose sight of a receiver or make a mistake somewhere else because you're making them think about an extra item that maybe they weren't thinking about before. So I do. But at the same time, uh, I also get you know the, the concerns about it and everything else. You don't want James Winston out there exposing himself to big hits. And so far this season, I mean, he's really seen even the hits that he's taken uh, as a runner. They've been what I would call smart hits. Like they're not really, you know, the defender's not really coming from an angle where they can do a whole lot of damage to him. They're not, you know, head-on hits, blindside hits, stuff like that. He's been pretty good uh, about about taking smart hits and and you know uh, not not taking unnecessary risks uh, in in the running game. So, you know, again, uh, we we've seen, you know, I think Buccaneers fans and media personnel alike have been kind of calling for this team to make some changes and kind of do some things differently. And we saw that, you know, at least in the beginning with, you know, Rojo getting so many more snaps than Peyton Barber and Dari Gumbawale. And that's something that already, you know, is apparent that against Arizona, Rojo will be the lead back, uh, at least to start that game. I'm sure Peyton is still going to get his touches. Dari is still going to get his touches. But Rojo is just kind of gradually becoming more and more and more. He's becoming the primary back for this team. So as the team continues to develop, you know, we've seen Scotty Miller, you know, get get more involved and in, and in, in all that. I know a lot of people are kind of confused with some of the game planning stuff, but at least there are signs here uh, that the coaching staff, that the team is is taking strides, making efforts to identify some things that they can possibly do better. And yeah, I mean, hopefully, like like you said, Grico, uh, playing against a guy like Russell Wilson inspires this team to say, "Hey, listen, we can use our quarterback's mobility as a weapon and as an advantage over our opponents." Because um, they're going to see another mobile quarterback in Kyler Murray uh, this coming weekend, who you know is another guy that not Russell Wilson level, obviously, uh, if he ever gets there, but he's definitely not there now. But definitely a guy that uses his legs uh, as as much as he can as as necessary. So something something to look forward to possibly. Uh, but yeah, Greg, I think it's a good point and something that I would like to see at least on a personal level. So again, thanks for the phone call, and uh, let's get to the next voicemail. Hey guys, Joe from Ocala. Tough loss. It's it's tough watching these games because in my uh, in my mind it, we're so close. You know, we're just we're just a play or two away from you know winning ball games, and we just can't seem to put it together. Um, David, I agree with you one hundred percent. Nobody's talking about this. Todd Bowles. I mean, poor Dean. Carlton Davis gets hurt in warmups, and he jumps in there, and I mean, just no help. Man cover. I mean, the guy it has played 
like minimal and you're throwing him out there like, you know, like he's a veteran. I, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I thought Todd Bowles was way smarter than that. Donovan Smith, two weeks in a row, gets completely stood up. He, I mean, to this week, he is pushed completely behind Jameis where Jameis's elbow hits him. Last week, he lets the guy just blow right by and the defender knocks it out of Jameis's hands. Said it before, say it again. Secondary, O-line. David, we've said it. Two or three players. This is a going to be a very good football team if we can somehow get these players back and this young secondary can step up, maybe get one shut down corner, get, you know, get a right tackle, someone on that right side, you've got to do something about it. I thought Kappa played well for coming back, you know, with a broken arm. There is something to look forward to here, but Todd Bowles is, I just don't understand it. Maybe they're just, it's a losing record and they want these guys to get the experience. I, I don't know. I really don't know. Go Bucks, hard fought game. I'm proud of the guys. Seven weeks in a row they have not been home is ridiculous. That doesn't happen to the Patriots. These poor guys get screwed over big time. It just frustrates me. Frustrates me. It just, it's not fair, but. Hopefully next year they'll give us two more home games than everybody else to make up for it. Go Bucks! All right, Joe. Thanks for the call, and of, of course uh, James is going to love hearing you uh, agree with agree with everything that I said yesterday. So I, I appreciate that as well. But yeah, man. I mean, looking at this team, you know, uh, it's 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 again one of the, one of the frustrating things about the 2019 version of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is kind of the same thing that's been frustrating about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a whole over the last you know, a handful of seasons is that the team has players that are capable of doing things to help lead this team to victory. They have a quarterback that is capable of leading this team to victory. It's just, it's, you know, and it, it always goes back to the, it's a Bucks life. The, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers consistently find a way to defeat themselves, whether it's turnovers, penalties, you know, uh, you know, absolutely terrible timing on, on poorly executed plays, uh, Fluke turnovers, you know, I mean, how many times I've been watching football for, for as long as I can remember in my life, and I can't, I can't honestly recount five I- events where I've seen an offensive lineman's arm reach back and hit his own quarterback's arm, causing a key turnover late in a football game uh, on the road, especially, you know. Um, it's just, it's, it's like one of those things, and, and, you know, I've heard people talk about the Buccaneers being snake-bitten and, and stuff like that, and I don't believe in curses and and all that, so I don't believe it's anything like that. But at a, at a certain point, this is kind of what we've been talking about. This this franchise, really, honestly, just has to find a way to manufacture a, a an aura of winning and of the the ability to get over that hump. And right now, they just don't have it. You know, um, we talked about we talked earlier last week before the Seattle game. We talked about having Lions on this team. To, to lead the rest of them and, and you know, to, to get them where they need to get to. Or, you know, the other phrase used was was getting killers in key positions. And I'll tell you, in Seattle, like, we saw the lion version of Mike Evans. Like, Mike Evans looked like a man on a mission in that game. He looked like a guy who had made the decision, the conscious decision, that he was going to go out in this game. He was going to dominate this defense, and he was going to be a factor, and he was going to have an impact on this game. And that's the Mike Evans that the Buccaneers need to see week in and week out. But we've had, I mean, we've had callers. There have been Buccaneers fans who commented 
on the fact that sometimes Mike Evans comes out and he, he almost looks lackadaisical. He almost looks like he's just kind of going through the motions and, you know, not questioning a man's work ethic. You know, I, I've seen Mike work in, in person. We've all seen Mike work in person. The dude is definitely dedicated to his craft. He's definitely dedicated to his profession. But, you know, human beings are, are like that. Like human beings come to work sometimes and they just don't have the same level of hype or motivation that they do, you know, the next week or the week before. And maybe this week, because of the way they lost against the Tennessee Titans, Mike Evans came out with a little bit more fire under his seat, with a little bit more spring in his step because he wanted to get that taste out of his mouth. Obviously, it didn't work. So the question now is, are we going to see that type of Mike Evans against the Arizona Cardinals, or are we going to see a different kind of Mike Evans against the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, looking at Jameis Winston. Again, we've, we've all seen the Jameis Winston who looks – almost too excited and almost, you know, agitated because of how badly he wants to make a play for his team. And then it turns into mistakes or turnovers or missed passes. But in Seattle, we saw a very poised Jameis Winston. He looked very comfortable in what he was doing, very confident in what he was doing. And again, until that fumble happened, there really wasn't like, if, if there was a concern in the back of your head about what was going to happen late in the game, it wasn't because of anything that was happening on the field in Seattle, it was history. But again, history repeats itself with this team. Donovan Smith, like you like you said in the voicemail, Donovan Smith gets pushed back into his quarterback, hits the quarterback's arm, causes a fumble. Seahawks defender, you know, scoops it up and moves down the field. Uh, Mike Evans again comes through with a huge play for his team, preventing, you know, probably what would have been a touchdown return. But, you know, still it's it's a key moment where the Buccaneers don't get the three points that they were putting themselves in position to get, and the opposing team ends up getting three points. You're talking about a six-point swing. Uh, in, in that series, in that exchange because of it. Um, and then, you know, going going towards the secondary, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about the secondary needing veteran leadership during the offseason, wanted the team to go out and sign a veteran cornerback or trade for a guy like Patrick Peterson. And, you know, let's let's be honest here. We don't know, you know, we can all, everybody from the outside can sit and look at the landscape and say, oh, well, I think they should trade for this guy or they should go sign this guy and all that stuff. But it does take two, you know, to tango. That's that's a cliche, and it's there for a reason. And we we remember there were reports that the team was pursuing Morris Claiborne uh, during the offseason, but he wanted you know a different deal than the Buccaneers were willing to give him. So it just didn't work out. So it, it kind of gets to the point where you know how much are you willing to pay for that veteran presence? Because is Morris Claiborne really the leader in the secondary that this team needs, or he's is he just an experienced teammate that can come out there and bring some experience to the field? Because again. Just because you have years in the league doesn't make you a leader, you know, and that's something that we're seeing kind of in Vernon Hargraves, who has more years in the NFL, but does he, one, really have the status and ability to be that kind of coach and mentor for the younger quarterbacks, and two, does he have the the presence and the ability uh, to to be that coach and mentor to the younger quarterbacks? So there, there's more than just go out and sign a veteran, because a lot of veterans are out there on the market that aren't necessarily leaders. You saw the Los Angeles Rams trade. Uh, Marcus Peters and Aqib Talib. Neither of those guys are looked at as leaders. Neither of those guys have reputations as being locker room guys that kind of help lead the defense. Uh, both of those guys have reputations of being strong in their own rights as secondary defenders. Got it. But the problem, by and large, with this secondary isn't necessarily a lack of ability. It's a lack of consistent communication, I would say, and then a lack of that veteran presence to pull them together uh, when they need it the most and say, hey, here's what we need to do to, to turn things around on the field, kind of that on-field coach. Uh, keep to leave Marcus Peters are not those guys. Jalen Ramsey is not that guy. 
We talk about Patrick Peterson, who may very well be that guy. He's, he's definitely got the captain's patch on his chest, and he definitely has kind of a reputation from the outside looking in as a leader. And but we don't know. Like, did Jason like call you know Steve Kime in, in Arizona, and and what did what did they say? What was that conversation like? Uh, the Arizona Cardinals basically stood fast in their in their stance that they weren't trading Patrick Peterson. So if that's the case, if the Arizona Cardinals aren't willing to trade Pat P, then there's nothing Jason Light can do. I mean, maybe Jason Light can call up and say, hey, I'll give you my next three years worth of first-round picks and O.J. Howard for Patrick Peterson, completely blow the socks off. But is that type of a trade going to be worth? And, of course, I'm exaggerating on the trade there, but it is a trade that's going to kind of blow their socks off to the point where they have to listen, right, in the whole everybody-has-a-price type of theory is that price worth paying for the long-term health of your team? Because you bring a guy like Patrick Peterson in to a, you know, a two and five team at the time uh, or a two and four team even, you know, at the time. And is he going to be able to do enough to get this team off the snide where they can put together a winning record, put together a playoff push, and then, you know, potentially try to compete for a championship and all that? Because if you're mortgaging your future to bring a guy like him in, that's exactly what needs to be able to happen. And you can't guarantee those things, you know, as, as best as you can try to predict them, you can't guarantee them. So as much as we wanted guys like Patrick Peterson to come to this team, I did, I do, you know what I mean? If he's available in the offseason, I would love to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go after him, uh, try to bring him to Tampa. But whether or not it happens is, is a lot more difficult and a lot more complicated than just wanting it to happen or saying it should happen. So those are things we all just got to remember, guys. Uh, because we don't know, again, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. We don't know what conversations were had uh, about the cornerback position. What we see is the end result, which is a cornerback position that was devoid of veteran leadership that didn't gain any veteran leadership. And we see it week in, week out. The fact that this secondary is so young is biting this team in the tail uh, very consistently. This week, uh, again, I don't, I don't really put a whole lot of ill will about it on Jamel Dean himself. Uh, Carlton Davis goes out. And Jamel Dean comes in. The game plan has already kind of installed. This is our game plan. Here's how we're going to attack the Seahawks. And from what I saw, from what we saw on the field, it does not look like Todd Bowles really ever diverted off of that original game plan. Didn't really come off of his spot saying, okay, as the coach, I'm going to make an adjustment based off of the new information we have, the new uh, structure in the secondary that we have. And I feel like it contributed to the downfall of this team, ultimately, uh, in allowing the Seattle Seahawks to not only get back in the game after falling back, by multiple touchdowns, but eventually win the game as they were able to build that consistency, uh, build the momentum themselves and continue it into overtime and ultimately into uh, the win. So, guys, thanks for the phone calls. Uh, again, you guys stuffed, you know, the voicemail box. Again, I really wish I could get to all of them. If I honestly, honestly, if I didn't have an early morning myself and earlier than usual morning myself, I would probably just bite the bullet and go through and try to get all of these things on record. But in order to do that, we're going to be here for about another hour or so. Uh, and that's unfortunately just not something that we can do uh, on today's episode. But guys, we want to continue hearing from you. You know what I mean? We love hearing from you guys. I know there's, it's a struggle out there. I know it's hard being a Bucks, fans, Bucks fan these days, really. It's, it's hard being a Bucks fan since you know 2003. Um, some ups, some downs, more downs than ups, right? But uh, again, there are there are some things that are happening on this team. There are some some improvements. Uh, you know, Jamel Dean was was talked to today and said himself it's the worst game that he's played. But again, I don't think too many people are really holding Jamel, you know, individually responsible for all that stuff. There's a lot of things that goes into coaching, scheming, and then again, the makeup of the secondary itself. That's what the coaches get paid for, man. Um, Carlton Davis will keep an eye out, obviously, for his health moving forward. 
because if he uh, if his injury is one that's going to keep him out of this game against Arizona, then Jamel Dean is going to be right out there back in the frying pan this Sunday. So we'll be looking for what Todd Bowles does in response to that because what we do know is that this didn't work. And I'll tell you right now, Cliff Kingsbury and his staff have definitely watched this game. They've definitely seen what worked against the secondary. And I guarantee you they're going to be looking to exploit some of those same things that they saw Seattle exploit uh, against Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. They get paid to make those decisions and make those adjustments. We get paid to talk about them. You guys are awesome because you get involved in the conversation uh, by leaving us your voicemails, your thoughts, your questions, and please continue to do so. James, hopefully, uh, we'll be back tomorrow for his crossover episode uh, with the host of the Locked On Cardinals as as we get ready to, pre- to preview the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Finally returning home to host the Arizona Cardinals, Bruce Arians' former team, in a game that, uh, I mean, I, I guess every game at this point is, is a must-win to a certain extent. But at the same time, some of you have already turned your eyes towards the draft. So there's, you know, here's where we start getting into that part of the year where, you know, there's going to be a faction of Bucks fans that want losses because high, it means higher draft picks. There's going to be a faction of Bucks fans that want to win just because you always want to win. And I will tell you that I'm the guy that always wants to win. I don't care if you're 0-15 going into week 17. And one more loss guarantees you that top pick. I'd rather have the number two pick and a win to close out the year. That's just me. But... For everybody out there, guys, we, we appreciate your, your listening. We appreciate your interaction. Please, if you uh, want to continue trying to, get, trying to get your thoughts on the air, please don't get discouraged. We didn't get to your voicemail this week. Um, let us know what you think about the upcoming game against the Arizona Cardinals. What do you want to see from this team? What do you think are the keys to the to the Buccaneers getting a win here in the next weekend? Uh, call in to 813-444-5841 and let us know your thoughts. Folks, have an incredibly safe and enjoyable Tuesday. Hopefully your week is going better than the Buccaneers weekend went. And and until I get to talk to you again later on Thursday, have a safe rest of your week, safe next couple of days. And thank you so much for joining me right here at Locked on Bucks.